Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on Article 18 of the Augsburg Confession. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. Yeah. All right. Nobody hacked a... You're coughing at the start of the intro. You know what we didn't say last episode? What's that? Merry Christmas from the Being <laughs> Lutheran Podcast. What yeah, on earth? Right. Yeah. Happy Epiphany from the Being Lutheran Podcast. Yes. Yes. Merry yeah, Epiphany, that... Happy Epiphany. Is Christmas the only merry holiday? Everything well, else is happy. in England it is yeah, happy it's, Christmas. It's happy Christmas. Yeah, that right. grates on me. It <laughs> doesn't sound Those right. British. They should have lost the war and stayed over. <laughs> yeah, I don't, is there any other merry holiday, though? Merry? No. No? I don't think so. I, I knew a lady named Mary. My uh, wife's Couple. grandmother yeah, was named right. Mary. That spelling. Yep. To M-E-R-R-Y. Yep. Really? Yep. Interesting. Right. All right. Well, relevant. <laughs> wow. Okay. Keep irrelevant. The being Lutheran podcast. Oh, yeah. Well, we had a great uh, start to our conversation last time about uh, will, the freedom of the will, or lack thereof. And uh, yeah, that's true. Why didn't they name it bondage of the will? Yeah. Uh, well, we'll bound there, will. But, bound uh, will. Yeah. I should also probably take this time to thank my wife for the Lexus in the driveway with the big ribbon on it. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> We're recording before Christmas. It's Very gentle happy. snow, uh, a brand new yeah. car. Yeah, I, I can see it. The Goodham household. This All is right. me exercising my free will to thank my wife for that. Oh, okay. All right. You're anyway. just wishing it into existence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Different article. <laughs> Different article. Okay. Uh. Yeah, so uh, I think kind of from the get-go, one of the things we wanted to clear up from last week is we left a paragraph off. Yeah, that's my fault. Um, so, Adam, if you could read that for us at this time, that'd be great. Yeah, paragraph 8 says, uh, Rejected here in this article are those who teach that we can keep the commandments of God without grace and the Holy Spirit. For although we are by nature able to do the external works of the commandments, Yet we cannot do the supreme commandments in the heart, namely, truly to fear, love, and believe in God. Yeah, good. Sorry for leaving that off. Can't believe you did. You that. had one job. You had one <laughs> job. I'm submitting this entire episode to fail blog. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, let's be like Jesus podcast. and save us here. Where are we yeah, going? I was going to say, we, we have a lot to cover, you know, <laughs> leading into this episode, we were like, are we going to be able to fit all that we want to talk about into this episode? Probably not. Uh, that's just the nature of, of having 20-ish, 20 to 24-ish minute episode. Um, but we, we do have a lot of uh, big topics related to the freedom of the will that we want to talk about. And, and just in starting off, uh, you know, there's a list of scripture passages that the, the uh, Roman Catholics uh, talk about there. Um, we're not going to get into that, but if you want to study that, look into it. There, and uh, Yeah, the Roman confutation is in the yeah. public domain. Uh, yep. So you can just actually do a Google search for the Roman confutation. It will be ordered by the articles that were submitted in the Augsburg Confession. And uh, 
Melanchthon in the Augsburg Confession uh, or in the Apology references these out-of-context scripture verses. In, in the, the long and the short of it, he just basically tells the Roman Catholics, you have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Uh, uh, this is one of those things... It always we, feels good to have somebody tell you that. Yeah, well, and, and this is one of those areas where we can celebrate Melanchthon for being snarky because he's right. known as a, a timid kind of guy, but he just goes whole yeah. hog on this one. Our fight in this isn't so much with the Roman Catholics. Right, uh, right. You should say that uh, as far as we know and as far as our assessment is, they've not changed any of their doctrines about this, and so we would still mm-hmm. be disagreeing with them. Our fight is how frequently and obviously that this has trickled into the generic American church. Right, yeah. Yeah, maybe that would be helpful to just take an assessment of the whole scope of the landscape of... You know that you have the Calvinists that are probably a little closer to us on this this issue um, compared to like the the general American Christian. Um, yeah, I, I think we would find a lot to agree with uh, Calvinists on total depravity. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a one for one equivalence right. as I yeah. understand it, but the differences aren't big enough for me to articulate well. Sure. And so I'm not going to try to do that with the Calvinists this yeah. time. They they love like bondage of the will and yeah uh, yeah bondage yep. of the will. Uh, which in fact, if I if I'm remembering correctly, uh, as it got close to Luther's death, uh, he only considered two of his works worth. Uh, submitting as worthy. One was the small catechism and one was the bondage of the will. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah uh, Calvinists love the bondage of the will. Yep. Uh, we would have bigger disagreements with the Calvinists on the will of God rather than the will of man, mm-hmm. uh, which is an article for a different time. Yeah. But, but, but primarily the, the group that we deal with in our modern day is, is uh, those that hold to like some form of decision theology, which we hope to talk about here um, in this episode too. Yeah, in the in the categories of American Christianity, our our fight that we're picking today is going to be with the Arminians, the the theological descendants of Jacob Arminius, mm-hmm. which kind of the Baptist wing of the American Church. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess before we get to that, uh, let's talk about the two kinds of righteousness in, in relationship to this article on uh, the freedom of the will. Yeah. So. The, the main Lutheran theological category that this uh, article is going to impact is going to be what's known as the two kinds of righteousness. And, and there has been, uh, in the not-so-distant past in Lutheran circles, some controversy on this. I think more or less uh, conservative Lutherans at this point will accept it as a proper framework uh, under the category of law and gospel, that, that you have... Two kinds of righteousness. Your righteousness before God. Call it 2KR. Call it 2KR. <laughs> one, one is horizontal, one, one is vertical. Vertical. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Flame. Uh, yeah, it's. Well, and Flame dedicated that song, if I'm not mistaken, to Joel Bierman, who first articulated this well in his book, Case for Character. Uh, which we've me- re- recommended several times, yeah. um, especially the last half of the book, Case for Character, I highly recommend uh, reading. And uh, the the first thing, you, when you're describing two kinds of righteousness that you want to really get into is the, the notion that what righteousness is, is simply to be rightly oriented. 
Hmm. And, mm-hmm. and a simple definition goes a long way to understanding where people are talking about. So two kinds of righteousness, vertical righteousness, how are you rightly oriented to God? Horizontal righteousness, how are you rightly oriented to your neighbors? And, and vertical righteousness, the only way we're rightly oriented to God is by faith, which is what we were talking about last week. Yeah. Zero percent us if we're, if we're using percentages again, right? It's only God. The horizontal aspect of righteousness, I think, is is part of what's being discussed here when it's saying that, you know, we like Augustine say, yeah, we have some freedom in these matters to do things. And I like that last article here. So it's rejected are those who we can say we can keep those commandments of God without grace, without the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and it's arguing in a sense that, okay, we can do some good things externally to our neighbor. Uh, I, I have a, a neighbor who recently... Uh, my next door neighbor who came, uh, um, he's not, not spiritual in any way. He says he's not a religious person. Very great neighbor. He's, so he's wonderful. He's not spiritual and not religious, or is he spiritual and not religious? I think both he would reject, okay. actually, if hmm. I, if you pushed him. Uh, he's a, a, a great friend, a great neighbor. He's He serves me in, in many ways of taking care of some of the things when I'm gone. Great guy, but vertically that has no benefit to him. Yeah, the way uh, in how that works, it's an excellent example and setup here. The way Dr. Bierman diagrams two kinds of righteousness is an inverted T. So you've got a vertical line, and then you've got a horizontal line at the bottom of that vertical line. So it, it intersects in two 90-degree angles on either side, right? Then what he draws is he he draws a parallel line under the the horizontal line and in, in, in what he in doing that so you've got a an inverted t and then another line underneath it is that non-religious non-christian unbelievers right. are capable of the appearance of horizontal righteousness and that is built into the doctrine of vocation that is built into the um well, just about anything. Why are you taking a picture of me, Bo, right now? You're so distracted. <laughs> right in the middle of everything. Brett's got his camera out. Well, it, it, Look like a tourist over yeah, there. Yeah, right. I, yeah. A being Lutheran tourist. <laughs> Sorry to throw you yeah. off there. Yeah. The, the being Lutheran paparazzi, Brett Bo. Yeah. So you can have the appearance of horizontal righteousness in, in like that, that's built into the doctrine of vocation right. where God uses unbelievers to provide for us. Right. He uses us to provide for unbelievers. That's first article of creation blessings. That's fourth petition of the Lord's prayer stuff. And we wouldn't disagree with that. But the point is that neither of those two horizontal lines, the horizontal line for the believer and the horizontal line for the unbeliever, count for vertical righteousness. But for the believer, that horizontal righteousness flows out of that vertical righteousness. And hence is connected in the inverted T. Correct. Yep. Nothing like describing a diagram on the radio. I was going to say, this is, yeah, we needed to have the video. No, uh, video you already podcast. took a picture of me. Yeah, right. me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's doing, taking a picture of you. It looked like you were making the sign of the cross a little bit kind over of, there. Yeah, kind of. And yeah. That just really means I need to do a better sign of the cross if it looks like an upside down T. <laughs> uh, so that's two kinds of righteousness. And in what that does is it properly orients our activities in our theology because our sinful nature, corrupt as it is, Mm -hmm. 
wants to take credit for that horizontal righteousness and immediately pump it into the vertical righteousness. Mm -hmm. In the message of the gospel, God says, no, I've taken care of all that for you. You don't need to do that. Go love your neighbor. Yep. Keeping those two lines distinct Mm -hmm. is just... uh, uh, outworking of Christianity. It's out, It's an outworking of the faith. It's an outworking of vocation and righteousness, justification, sanctification, that whole... It, it's a great picture, simple picture of understanding righteousness before God. Yeah, it's it's the... Oh, I just lost my... I'm still imagining you take a picture. I'm going to blame everything on this episode. I'm going to post that picture you. today. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, the whole reason why I teach the two halves of the Christian life as assurance of salvation and vocation is that diagram of the two kinds of righteousness. Mm-hmm. It's just a different way to say two kinds of righteousness. Without the assurance of salvation, without a properly oriented vertical righteousness, you will never get to the point where you are living your life in vocation because you will always be either disqualifying yourself by your lack of horizontal righteousness, mm-hmm. or you will always be trying to apply that horizontal righteousness to the vertical column. Right. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you guys this, you know, pastorally speaking, um, how, how have you handled that uh, call, inviting people, calling people to a faith without ma- making a compromise and muddling up the, the issues here of the two kinds of righteousness, um, I guess, how have you handled that as, as a pastor? Is is the question basically, mm-hmm. do you have an altar call or not? N- no. <laughs> so there, there's two questions I'm detecting here. I want yeah, to know where... Yep. So the, the two implicit questions, and, and I don't know which one you're asking, is one, can we preach the gospel as an invitation? Or two, how do we preach to good works? Is that... I was more thinking of of the first, but the invitation. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes sometimes we mix it all together. Well, uh, it's all jumbled, right? Uh, so we can preach the gospel as an invitation because the gospel and scripture is preached as an invitation. Second mm-hmm. uh, Corinthians five. We are therefore ambassadors yeah. of Christ, be reconciled to God. God for you, be yeah, reconciled God making to God. An appeal through us, mm-hmm. you know, or. The chapter six, now is the day of salvation. There's an appeal in that. Uh, the gospel invites, and then the gospel causes us to receive mm-hmm. what that invitation offers. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's the danger of decision theology is not in the gospel appeal. The danger in decision theology is leaving someone with the impression that they're responsible for that decision. Right. You know, it's the, I see that hand, I see that hand, <laughs> I see that hand over there. When mm-hmm. sometimes there are no hands up at all, but just trying to drum up business. Yeah, or, right. or, or in the midst of it saying, I prayed before this sermon that there would be three more people right now that would make that commitment. Can we get those three people? Sooner or later, someone's going to cave just to get the guy to shut up. So they go home right. for lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've said part of my personal testimony and faith journey is as a counselor one year at a Bible camp, I went up for every altar call. <laughs> Was that at our camp? <laughs> yes. Oh, huh. yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just stuff like that. You can manipulate someone yeah. into that outward appearance, which is why that vertical righteousness it is so necessary to describe and proclaim that as the activity of God, mm-hmm. because anything can be manipulated. 
You know, the the danger of like Billy Graham's evangelistic ministry was was not that he was or wasn't preaching the gospel, and and, and there's some fair criticism to be had mm-hmm. in all of that. The danger is how often they distilled what he did down to those response cards, and then gave out statistics for the success of what he did based on who checked a box. Mm-hmm. You know, that that dis, you know like that distills everything down to a personal decision, and and that's what we want to avoid. Preaching the gospel as an appeal, that is just part of seeing the gospel in the text and proclaiming it how it's delivered to us in scripture. The gospel isn't a formula. So so the gospel for us in Genesis is different than the gospel in 2 Kings, which is different than the gospel in Ecclesiastes and different in the gospel of Habakkuk and different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or Philippians or 3 Mm -hmm. John. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And maybe that's just... what I need to hear again, you know, pastorally speaking of, because I, I think for me, I, I tend to, you know, just knowing these theological truths tend to maybe shy away from the appeal of the gospel in in not wanting to make it seem like it's something that the people are doing. This is something that I've struggled with in my own ministry because I, I feel the same way. I feel mm-hmm. that I felt that same tension when I was preaching often uh, to the congregation and ministering to souls one on one, too, in counseling settings and whatnot. That that danger of making it feel like it's them, and so we shy away from that invitation. But just like Jason said, when Scripture does not shy away from that invitation, neither should I. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I got to this point where at, at the uh, funerals that I would preach, there were a lot of opportunities to proclaim the good news to people who probably did not believe it. Um, family members maybe weren't Christians and whatnot who who've come to the funeral. One of the f- texts that I would preach fairly often was John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. And it was interesting because right after that, that, that declaration that God gives to Martha in the, or that God in, in the son, God, the son gives to Martha in that moment is, do you believe this? Mm-hmm. And, and it gives her the opportunity to say, yes, I believe that you're the Christ. You know, and, and at that point, at that, in that declaration of faith, we we cannot look at that and say, oh man, poor Martha. She's probably going to think just because she's a you know she's a doer, she's going to think she did that. No, I don't think Jesus was walking her into a decision theology kind of a, a moment. I think that it's this is the declaration, and to us, and I think this is the key. To us, sometimes it does feel like a decision, and and it doesn't mean that it is. But from our perspective, that invitation, just as long as we understand, it's not about us. It's not about what we've done. And, and, and even understanding the ability to say, I believe, or dear Jesus, please come into my heart. Yeah. <laughs> All of those prayers are him. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Right? And I think we've gone a mm-hmm. long, long time here without mentioning mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 2 directly when it says the natural versus the spiritual. Nobody can say all of these things. Nobody can read or understand scripture except for spiritually, dis- unless it's spiritually discerned. And you know, going back to Martha, what was so interesting about that appeal that Jesus made to her is, you know, do you believe? And Martha confesses her faith. I believe that he will be raised on the last day. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus again applies the gospel to her in right. that confession, says, mm-hmm. I am the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you see how that gospel works in the appeal. Right. Uh, you know, I think we as Lutherans 
uh, and even confessional Lutherans at that would be would do well to to know that what we condemn in others we should condemn in ourselves too, and that you never respond to bad theology with a different kind of bad theology. Mm-hmm. And, and we would never want the gospel to be formulaic, just to avoid something that we're not intending to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. the The whole point of scripture is that all of it points to Jesus. You search the scriptures because in these you have life. I tell you. They're pointing to me, right? right. Yeah. So that the gospel preached in one part of the Bible will sound uh, different than the gospel preached in another part of the Bible, but it's the same gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, in our critique of like decision theology, uh, we don't critique decision theology to go off the rails in the in the other way. Uh, we want to we want to stay biblically uh, aligned with the way the scriptures talk about faith and responding. You know the the work of the Spirit to create faith in us. Yeah, you. What we as Lutherans want to do is we want to find the tension and we want to live there. Mm-hmm. You know, so w- w- the tension of the decision theology is we don't want to leave a person putting the responsibility for their faith on their own shoulders, either to create sinful pride or sinful despair. But that does not mean we turn the gospel into a, a formula uh, or, or even uh, uh, commit the error of preaching irresistible grace. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't want to do any of that. We want to preach the gospel the way scripture preaches the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. Amen to that. Um, yeah, anything else about decision theology related to this topic before we maybe wrap up with uh, talking about apologetics and the role of apologetics in this discussion? Yeah, I think decision theology can lead us to apologetics. Maybe that's the other side of the horse that we're talking about, too, is uh, the the place of apologetics in the church. And, and I think, again, Lutherans are guilty of overreacting to this is that you can turn apologetics, uh, the defense of the faith, as an evangelistic formula into turning faith into intellectual assent. And, and we, would, we would reject that. We don't want that to happen either. Uh, I favor an apologetic approach that is apologetics as catechesis rather than necessarily as evangelism. Now, there, hmm. there's a place to defend the faith against objections. There's a place to provide information from some, for someone who has hesitations. But when it comes to evangelism, sooner or later you have to preach the gospel or yeah. it's not evangelistic. Yeah. I, I, I like Greg Kokel, I think, his approach mm-hmm. to, I think it's his book, Tactics, correct? Yep. Where he talks about putting a rock in somebody's shoe. And that's what apologetics to me outside of the church. I like your I like your idea. That's why Christians we need to know to be ready to give a defense for what we believe. Also, not not just I don't think to those outside, but also for our own confidence in the gospel. God gives us reason, the ability to think. But outside of the church, when we are talking about apologetics and we are talking to those who are unbelieving, hoping that they might come into the faith, he talks about a rock in the shoe that those. Proofs, so to speak, or those arguments for God, those apologetic arguments, put a rock in their shoe that makes them think, ah, what am I missing? And that's where the gospel comes in. That's where the good news needs to be proclaimed. That's where the good news of Jesus Christ, sins forgiven, uh, faith in Christ alone that saves. That's where that comes is through the message. And and to his credit, Kokel says, sometime you're just going to have to stop explaining and preach the gospel. Right. And, and we have no objection with that. And, and that's a really good image just to put a rock in someone's shoe so that's bothering them, kind of sticks in their craw. 
It was that with bit. with C.S. Lewis yep. when he you know talked about how he had this notion of something that is is evil or unjust, but at that point the thing that was the rock in his shoe was how do I know what unjust is if there is no such thing as something that is good or something that is just, and that was enough to when he finally heard the good news that was that was the thing that put enough of a rock in his shoe, and I think that that God uses that he he uses those external things, but it's the gospel and the gospel alone that spiritually wrought, spiritually discerned, that is what saves. Yeah, good. Well, any closing thoughts uh, this episode as we wrap it up? I think it takes care of it. I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to the Bible studies we have lined up. For yeah, this. It's right. There's a lot of, a great, lot of great, discussion. Great, great passages of Scripture to dig into. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Brett, Pastor Jason, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 18 of the Augsburg Confession. For the latest in the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.